You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. He is a holy king, right? But also filled with mercy. He's a present king. He is with us today. You can be seated. So glad that you're here this morning at Highland. I'm excited just to take a few moments of, of time at the beginning here to talk through a brand new, exciting ministry for all of our kids that will be starting this fall. And I think it's important, kids, for you to hear this, moms and dads, for you to hear this as well. But I think it's very important as well for our entire church family to know where we're headed with our kids' ministry for this fall. Maybe the best way to explain it is just for, to ask for you to uh, look at the screens behind me and let's watch this video together to help understand a little bit more about what Kids Foundation is going to be about this fall. Who is God? Why did He create us? What is sin? Why did Jesus come to earth? Is there hope in life and death? Can your kids answer these questions? With so many voices and influences in their world, we want Highland kids to know what they believe and why. At Kids Foundation, we equip kids with the truth, empowering them to defend their faith as set-apart followers of Jesus. Through fun and engaging activities, kids will learn scripture, worship, and play games with their peers. Each Wednesday, we will explore foundational truths in large group teachings and break into small groups for deeper discipleship. Lessons are designed to help you continue the conversation with your kids throughout the week. We partner with families to lay a strong foundation so that kids are empowered to face life with the truth. Kids Foundation is for kids ages 3 through 6th grade. We will meet on Wednesdays from 6.30 to 8 p.m. starting September 1st, 2021. Registration is open now, so sign your kids up online today at hbcwaco.org slash kids. So parents, you see that URL there, um, hbcwaco.org backslash kids, and you'll see that again here in a few moments. That would be the place that you'd go to, to register your kids. There was a three-sentence explanation of what Kids Foundation is about inside of that video. So let me just say it to you again. you see it on the screen behind me. At Kids Foundation, we will equip kids with truth, empowering them to defend their faith and set apart followers of Jesus. Through fun and engaging activities, kids will learn scripture, worship, and play games with their peers. Each Wednesday, we'll explore foundational truths in large group teachings and then break into small groups for deeper discipleship. Let me let you kind of see how this plays out then with all the different age groups. First of all, for our preschool, uh, from newborn to, to one-year-old, we'll definitely have a care for them. Uh, they'll begin to hear even some beautiful songs at that age about God's great love for them, God's great grace displayed toward them. Then our two-year-olds, we call them honeybees, uh, we'll be teaching your two-year-old some basic lessons of God's character. They'll be learning some songs also about God's care for them. The reason we call our two-year-olds honeybees is because how sweet they are. <laughs> but also they have stingers. And so those of y'all with uh, two-year-olds, you know exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. And then kind of the, the crux of Kids Foundation is our three-year-old to fifth grade. And we'll have some large groupings. So the three and four-year-olds will be together for the large group teaching time. K first and second will be together for the large uh, group teaching time. Then the third, fourth, and fifth together. 
for the large group teaching time, but then all those grades will then break out and then even break out by gender for the smaller group discipleship that will be led as well. The large group teaching and small group discipleship will answer questions like, how and why did God create us? Why did Jesus come and why did he go to a cross? How can I be saved? How do I read God's word? Why do I read, read God's word? How do I pray? Why do I pray? So there'll be games and music and scripture memory, friendship, small group disciples will create certainly a fun, very engaging environment. We have a special group then for our Kids Foundation sixth grade. They'll also have large group teaching as well as small group discipleship. But the questions that they'll be answering and talking about are a little bit different for sixth grade. They'll be answering some of these questions. Who wrote the Bible? How did God protect his word throughout the ages? How can I be sure that Jesus always loves me? How do I know the difference between right and wrong? And how can I defend my faith? So small group disciples and games will kind of create a meaningful time really of apologetics for our preteen kids. So what are our needs? We're going to need at least another 30 volunteers to make this ministry happen with excellence. So we're asking for a committed, prepared investors into the next generation. There'll be training for you. Of course, a background check will be required also. And parents, again, you see the registration link listed up there, hbcwaco.org backslash kids. And this will begin on Wednesday, uh, September 1st from 6.30 to 8. So what else is going on at Highland on Wednesday nights uh, from that, in that same time frame from 6.30 to 8? We'll have our women's Bible study. It'll be moved to Wednesday nights, studying the book of Acts. Traditionally, this has been about 250 ladies gathering together. In the past, on Thursday nights, now moved on Wednesday nights. Men's Bible study will also be studying the book of Acts at the same time. Traditionally, about 150 men are a part of that. So come on, guys. We have about 100 more to get to catch up with the ladies there. Our student ministry midweek, about 100 students or so gathering on Wednesday to study God's word. And then Hoops Huddle, which is, takes place here. It's using basketball for outreach to our neighborhood, also to explain the gospel and to help with the character development of kids in our neighborhood as well. That goes from 5 to 6.30. So the kids at Hoops Huddle, about usually 75 kids are involved in Hoops Huddle, can then go and be a part of Kids uh, Foundation. We'd love to see a huge group here this fall. Uh, for Kids Foundation. It's, it's a launching event for us. Uh, we believe uh, it's a very strategic ministry for us as, as well. There's, there's a lot of voices. There's a lot of voices that our kids are hearing. And a lot of those voices today are counter to historic Christianity. Counter to Orthodox Christianity. And so we think it's really important on Wednesday nights for us to gather our kids together um, grandkids together, friends of your kids, and not just tell them what we believe as followers of Christ, but why do we believe these things so that they also can defend their faith. I told someone my age at the end of the first gathering today, I think that fifth graders are facing questions that I heard as a college freshman. Why would... Why would a good God do things like this? What, what is right when it comes to the family? What is right when it comes to marriage? Well, what does God's word says, say about my body, about my decisions? And so we'd encourage your moms and dads to be a part of having your kids here for Kids Foundation. But also, again, I'm, I am trusting in the Lord that at least 30 more disciples of these small groups, or maybe you want to teach one of the large groups, would, would step up even from this congregation this morning. If that's the case, you can email me this week or email Joni, our kids minister. Would you bow your head with me, please, and let's pray together. 
So Father, for the spiritual success of Kids Foundation, we would ask for your favor on that ministry. God, without you present, there will be no fruit. We can't do anything apart from you. So God, we pray your blessings. We pray for for parents and for kids to be excited, to be engaged, Father, in Kids Foundation. God, I pray that you would raise up as you always do because you're a faithful God, disciplers, small group leaders, large group teachers for this ministry. God, we believe it is more valuable now than maybe ever in our history that our next generation understand not just what they believe about Christ and what they believe about his kingdom and the movement of Christianity, but why they believe these things. So God, we pray your blessings and your covering. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd be our teacher as we go into the word together. Father, we thank you for this living word. It is active, and we ask that you would use your word today, Lord, to comfort us, but also to correct us. We are wide open for correction today, but God, we also need your presence here. It's in the name of Christ that we pray together as your people. Amen. So we're in a series called The Ark of Redemption, where we're seeing God's story of him redeeming his people, a past, present, and future. So last week, we wrapped up the Old Testament with the intensely heavy book of of Malachi. Uh, We saw last week that God speaks in first person in the book of Malachi more percentage-wise than any other book of the Bible. Let me just kind of remind you some of the things that we we saw and we read last week. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Here's God speaking again. He says, a son honors his father and a servant honors his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? So the people of God had forgotten that God was their father and their Lord. And they no longer feared his name. We saw last week in Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, and I threw in verse 5 as well. God speaking actually about the coming of his son. He says, but who can endure the day of his coming, the coming of Christ? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Verse 5, God continues to speak. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, those who oppress the widow, oppress the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Who can stand when he comes? He is coming as a fire. He is coming as a purifier. And his wrath is set on those who do not fear him. And his wrath is set on those who oppress others. Then Malachi chapter 4 verse 1 and then 5 through 6 as well. For behold the day is coming burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts. So that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Behold. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and then strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. A day as hot as an oven is coming. It will come for the arrogant and even the, the, the roots of the trees will be burned. It will be an awesome day. Now hear that word correctly. Not awesome as in fantastic, but awesome as in awful. 
The, the Hebrew word here is sukan, and your Bible might translate that as dreadful. Your Bible might translate that as, as terrible. And the last words of God in the Old Testament are utter destruction. It's a curse. And then there's silence for 400 years. But God, oh, my two favorite words. But God is still at work. We shouldn't confuse God's silence as God's inactivity. In those 400 years, God is still at work pulling together a common language. God is still at work. The Old Testament would be translated into Greek. The Septuagint, in those 400 years, roads would be built that would carry the gospel and gospel tellers. And the prophecies of Daniel would be unfolded and realized during this time of the 400 years. 400 years puts a longing in the hearts of God's people to know God. And a longing in the hearts of God's people for a Messiah to come. Now, hear this. It is true we shouldn't confuse God's silence as God's inactivity. But for New Testament Christians, God is never silent when our Bibles are open. You want to hear God's voice? Open up your Bible this week. Want to hear the audible voice of God? Read your Bible out loud this week. That is God speaking to you. For New Testament believers, God will never be silent again because he has given us, praise his holy name, his word. That's good, practical news for us today. So when the time had fully come, according to Paul, the time had fully come, a baby boy cried out in the middle of the night in Bethlehem. And God sent his son and the world was changed forever. We would be changed forever. And the the Lord brings these four gospel writers together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have a tax collector, a missionary, a doctor, and a fisherman. How's that for an eclectic bunch? Sounds like the beginning of of a joke. A tax collector, a missionary, and doctor, and a fisherman walk into a... Well, you know the rest of the story probably. Each would write about Jesus. There's this promised one who would come from God. And so Jesus, he is the pinnacle of the ark of redemption. Matthew sees Christ as a king. A sovereign king for whom the Jews had been longing. Mark saw Jesus as a, as a servant. One who came not to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom for many. Luke saw Jesus as the savior of the entire world. Jew and Gentile, men and women, free and enslaved. And John sees Jesus as the son of God and thus God himself. So today I want us to see from the gospel writer Matthew... What he tells us about Jesus, this king. And if I can borrow a line from C.S. Lewis as the line, the witch in the wardrobe, more specifically Mr. Beaver, here's what I would say. He's the king, I tell you. Let me let you see in the gospel of Matthew how Christ is the king. With your copy of God's word, let's go to the book of Matthew together. The first thing I want you to see, he's the king, I tell you. How do we know this? Because of his king-filled genealogy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, a great place to start. Let's start there together. I'd encourage you to have your Bible open and your fingers nimble because we're going to be looking at a lot of passages just in the book of Matthew today. should be very easy to find the very first book of the New Testament. Or if you found, 
finally found the book of Malachi last week, just go one book to the right and you're right there. Matthew chapter one, the verse one. How do we know he's the king? Because he has a king-filled genealogy. Matthew chapter one, verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, not his last name. Christ is not his last name. It means he's the anointed one, the one promised from God, the son of David. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience and they are seeing immediately here that this, this one who claims to, to be from God, this Christ, this, this Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Christ, he is the son of the king, the son of David. And we see here also the son of Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. Now, I'm not going to unpack all this genealogy, but I do want you to jump down to verse six, Matthew chapter one, verse six, and we'll just kind of jump in right in the middle of this genealogical flow. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, uh, namely Bathsheba. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to, to Babylon. I did the counting for you this week. That was 15 kings. He comes from a kingly line. So I'll tell you, he is the king. The throne of David is his to take by law. And because Mary also was related to King David, the throne of David is also Jesus's because of DNA. It's a king-filled genealogy. He is the king, I tell you. Here's the second reason we know that. Because the voices of common Jews here in the book of of Matthew. Flip over a few pages. Go to Matthew chapter 9 with me. If your fingers just won't work today, all this will be on the screen also. But I encourage you to have God's word open or this may drive you crazy on your smartphone today. But let's go to Matthew chapter 9 and look at verse 27. He's the king because this was the voices of the common Jews recognized him as the king. Matthew chapter 9 verse 27. And Jesus passed on from there. And two blind men followed him crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. That these blind men following Jesus understood that he came from the lineage of their king. Let's jump over several pages to Matthew chapter 20, verse 30. This is actually different blind men. Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 30 with me. We know it's different because they weren't following. These were sitting. Matthew chapter 20, verse 30. And behold... There were two blind men sitting by the roadside when they heard that Jesus was passing by. They cried out. Look what they cried out. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The blind, if you will, could see themselves that Christ was the king, that he was coming from a kingly genealogy. You're on that same page. Look at Matthew chapter 21. Look at verse 9. This is Palm Sunday. This is Jesus going into Jerusalem on the fold of a colt. Uh, look at chapter 21, verse, verse 9. And the, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him, listen to what they were shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. They recognized him as a king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is the voices of the common Jews. Here, it was the adults. But listen, this is important. The voices of the kids cried out the same thing. Same chapter, chapter 21, jump down to verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes 
saw the wonderful things that he, Christ, did, and the children, I love this, and the children crying out in the temple. What were they crying out? Hosanna to the son of David. And they were indignant. I love it when the scribes get indignant in the gospels. They were upset. Jesus was doing all these things. Even the kids recognized that this was a king. So blind men, adults, kids. But thirdly, it's also the voices of the non-Jews. I think this is really important. Go all the way back to Matthew chapter 2. Let's have a little Christmas in July. Go to Matthew chapter 2. Let's look at the story that we normally read in December. Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 1. The visit of the wise men. We don't know if there were three or 300. So if there's 300, you've got a lot to purchase before your nativity set is set up in December. There was just three gifts they brought. That's why we often think it's three kings. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. They were coming from Persia. They were not Jewish. They came to Jerusalem. Listen to what they were saying. Maybe you have forgotten this. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Non-Jewish voices said, this Christ is the king. Now jump over to Matthew chapter 15. Hope your fingers aren't tired yet. We've got a lot more to go. Look at Matthew chapter 15. Look at verse 22. So we have these these men, non-Jewish men, coming from the east, coming from Persia. And now we see in, in chapter 15, verse 22, a lady who lived in in God's country, they're in Israel, and yet she was not Jewish herself. Verse 22, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. She was crying as well. Here's what she cried. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So men and women who were not Jews recognized that Christ was the king. Not only that, we also have the John the Baptist endorsement, if you will. Uh, Go back to Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. This is John the Baptist. He is giving the endorsement that this Christ is the king. Chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Here's his, his message. Repent. For the kingdom, important here because a king from the kingdom is coming, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. For this is who he, this is, this is he who was promised or spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when Isaiah said this, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I love this. Prepare the way of the Lord. When Isaiah said that in the Old Testament, it is the word, you ready? Yahweh, the king the high king of heaven. So now John the Baptist is saying, this is the one Isaiah was talking about. Here comes Yahweh with flesh on. Here comes the king. Not only do we have a John the Baptist endorsement, I like this one, we have the endorsement of God himself. That's a five-star review, a pretty weighty endorsement. Look at Matthew chapter three, jump down that same chapter, look at verse 16 with me. This is the baptism of Jesus. Uh, Verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, in other words, look at this, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
The Holy Spirit confirms that God, the high king of heaven, says, this is my son. He has come from me. He's the king, I tell you. What, what does the king come to do then? What do we see in the gospel of Matthew? Why has this king come? First of all, he comes to love the unlovable. This is the purpose for which he was sent, to love the unlovable. Go to Matthew chapter 9. You're really close there right now. Matthew chapter 9. And, and look at verse 9 with me. This is a relatively personal story, if you will. Because it is written about the guy who's writing this. This is the story of, of Jesus calling Matthew. This is the same Matthew who is writing the gospel of Matthew. According to Matthew, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, I love this, follow me. Jesus preached great short sermons. Have you noticed that? Just follow me. Don't, don't get it into your head that I can preach like that. I'm not Jesus. Follow me. No, no music in the background. No pleading. No just as I am playing in the background. Just follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. That's all it took. And as Jesus reclined at table, which is awkward sounding because it's a, it's a word that means he was, really it means he was chilling. He was just kind of hanging out with, with the folks there. He reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and they were also chilling. They were hanging. They were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, <laughs> verse 12, but when he heard it, have you noticed that anytime people talk behind Jesus' back, he always hears them? I love that in the gospels. Like he has God ears. And so he is able to hear all the whispers around him. But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This king came to love the unlovable. He came to, to rescue those that the society had written off as, as, as completely unsalvageable. Jesus comes to show mercy to those who are on the outside. Jesus comes to express his grace to those who were despised and forgotten and, and, and past hope. And listen, Highland, this is good news for us. Because no matter where you are in life, the story of your life, the pain of your life, the mistakes of your life, listen to this clearly. No one here is outside of the bounds of the love of Jesus Christ. He has come to love the unlovable. He has come to, to love the least expected. He has come to love the least likely. He has come to love those that are difficult to love. Secondly, he comes to serve the most vulnerable. So the purpose for which he came, those who were hurt, those who were lonely, those who were sick. You're in Matthew chapter 9, so look back just one page at Matthew chapter 8. Look at verse 16 with me. Just one little verse here. It says a lot. And that evening, they brought to him, brought to Jesus, many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word. Wow, that gives me goosebumps every time I say that phrase. With a word. And healed all who were sick. Jesus came to serve the most vulnerable. He gave sight to the blind. He gave strength to the weak. He gave walking power to the lame. He gave food to the hungry. He gave healing to those who were sick. Thirdly, he comes to conquer the most powerful forces. 
I mean, the first two are softer sounding things. He came to love the unlovable. He came to serve the most vulnerable. But he also came in power and in strength and in the authority of his dad to conquer the most powerful forces. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 23 with me. We're going to pick it up in the middle of the story. A ruler has come to Jesus and has said, my daughter has died. Verse 23 of Matthew chapter 9. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players, they were there as, as musical mourning. And the crowd making a commotion, Jesus said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Because everyone knew she was dead, they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, Jesus went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all that district. Christ has come to conquer most powerful forces. He will conquer sin. He will conquer Satan. He will conquer death. He will conquer disease. He will raise three people from the dead in the Gospels. He himself will conquer his own death. And daughters and sons of God, listen, he has come to conquer your death as well. What does this king then say? This king says his life will be taken from him. He knew the cross was not plan B for God. He understood that his life would be taken from him. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 21. Matthew chapter 16. From that time, 1621, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and from the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So what does this king say? Not only his life will be taken from him, good news, his death will be merely temporary. And Jesus says this of his temporary death 10 times in the Gospels. He calls it the, the, the sign of Jonah, that he'd be in the belly, if you will, of death for three days, and he would see life again. He says it so clearly right here on the third day, not just that he would see life again, but he would be raised back up again. So his death will be merely temporary. Here's the third thing I want you to see. What does this king say? That his victory will last forever. This was not a story of just 2,000 years ago. This is a story that continues in our lives today. Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 23. Um, no, don't do that. Go to Matthew 24 and go to verse 29. Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 29. So almost the very end, toward the very end of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew 24, look at verse 29. This is Christ talking about his return. Christ talking about the coming of uh, the return of, of, of himself to earth. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with the loud trumpet call and they will gather his people, his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And family, this king's campaign is not over because the king is coming again. And one day, with a trumpet call from heaven, he will return and gather his people, and we will reign with him for all 
eternity. But here's the question. Here's the question. What can you do in light of this king? And he is the king. I mean, God has already said it. In fact, the Jews believed it. The non-Jews believed it. Matthew writes about it. The wise men declared it. John the Baptist shouts it. The Holy Spirit confirms it. And then God himself endorses it. Christ is the king. So what do you do with this, Highland? He is the king. What are our options? What's on the table for us? Here's the first option, I guess. Walk away from him to live your own life. It's an option to face your own death, to face decisions tomorrow morning, to face your own shame, to face your own judgment, to face life without him. That's an option. He is the king. One option you have is just to walk away from him and live your own life. But here's the second choice. Worship him with your entire life that you're constantly in awe of his grace. You can, you can live the totality of your life for his fame, for his name, for his renown. I mean, you can fall on your knees in gratitude that in the ark of redemption, a king like this would pursue you and save you and keep you. But listen, Highland, you can't be ambivalent about it. Your heart cannot be in neutral when Christ comes and claims that he is from heaven and he is the king, you can't just be apathetic about that. You've got two options. You walk away from this king or you worship him forever. He never allowed us the option to think nothing of him. Hate him and walk away or love him with all that you are. Would you stand, please? Would you pray with me? Father, we believe you are the king. History records it for us. The Jews and the non-Jews believed it. Your DNA fit it. Legally, you fit the role of the king. Holy Spirit confirms that God you identified your, him, your son identified him Christ as your son the son of the king of heaven God you've come to love people like us I'm, I'm the chief of the unlovable in this room you came to serve the vulnerable the hurting the outsiders those who thought they had no worth but Jesus, you also came in power to conquer death, sin, disease, Satan. You conquered your own death and you've already conquered our death as your daughters and as your sons. We worship you today. Jesus, the highest point in the ark of redemption. It is in that name, the name of the King, that we pray to our Father. Amen.